Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone. Your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. I lost, I was laughing, dang it. How's it going, everybody? You are watching slash listening to the Command Zone Podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Wong. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. I mean, how's it? It's Josh Lee Klein. <laughs> how's my Brando? Mar- yeah, that's actually a pretty good Brando. I would love to see Brando actually do a podcast. Well, yeah. It would be a mess. It would be, well, it'd be a miracle at this point. Um, do you remember that skit where they ha- he had someone riding on his back <laughs> yeah, to get yeah. into character? That <laughs> uh, was great. Um, so uh, you're obviously watching the Command Zone podcast in a new location today. We are at Rocket Jump. Yep, our friends at RJ graciously allowed us to use their studio yep. and their moving camera so if Very you're listening cool. everything's probably the same but if you're watching everything's different everything's different we have three angles and we brought all our old uh, our toys from the past and we hung them up bolas is now our new uh, champion of the show <laughs> so today we are going to be answering some long overdue listener questions Listen, our email has been extremely busy over the past few months, and we get kind of behind. I apologize for that. So, I do apologize. Yeah, we, yeah. Usually an- we try and answer everything. But. We, we try to answer everything, but it's gotten tough lately. So shows like this are going to give us an opportunity. We've got some really cool topics. We're going to talk about how many infinite combos is too many Ooh. infinite combos. Things like how do you deal with misplays or your opponent's mistakes or takesies, mm-hmm. backsies, as we like to call them. Ooh, that happens quite a lot. More often than I'd like, probably. Yeah. Um, things like, how do, I, how do I know what the power level of my deck is? You know, we had we, we talked in a previous episode, in fact, the live episode, about sitting down at a table and saying, like, I'm playing a seven. What are you guys playing? Right. And a lot of people kind of came back with, like, okay, but I don't know what number mine is in the scale and how do I figure <laughs> that out? So we're going to cover all that stuff. But before we do, we've got to talk about our awesome sponsors. That's right. Cardkingdom.com slash Command Zone is the affiliate link. If you'd like to use it to buy any of your singles, magic products, sealed product, online, ultra pro product, it's all there at Card Kingdom. You may get a sticker in it. Uh, every time someone writes in to Card Kingdom and they ask them, hey, can you draw me a, a snake token that's super buff? They do it. Uh, and they're awesome. Their, their fulfillment and their shipping is way fast. Their quality is always top notch. So make sure you go to cardkingdom.com slash command zone in order to get hooked up with some yeah. sweet goodies. Pre-order that Commander 2017 stuff. Oh, yeah. Now's the time to be grabbing all that at Card Kingdom. Time. Our other awesome sponsor is Ultra Pro. In fact, that bolus banner that's right behind us, the scroll banner, is from Ultra Pro. It's something new that they're trying out, proved to be very popular. So hopefully they're going to do more of that in the future. Also, of course, they have the Eclipse sleeve. They have awesome dice like the heavy metal dice and the gravity dice. They have that new backpack that we showed off last episode. Ultra Pro just killing it lately. That backpack, by the way, carried... 80% 80% of the stuff on this table except for the giant plane chase and or the it fit all box. that? It fit all of this. Wow. Not, well, not the axe, but it fit everything else. So pretty impressive. That backpack can News carry flash. a lot of stuff. Backpack cannot carry axe. <laughs> but everything else, you're good. Well, actually, it might. There's a little strap on the side so you could have it dangling with you. Wouldn't recommend it in public, though. Well, it is nerf. Yeah. The last way you can support the show is on patreon.com slash command zone. That's where you can directly contribute to the episodes. And that really helps us out in terms of making episodes like game nights every single month and doing our higher end content. And we shout out one special patron every single episode. And that person this week is Casey Casey Garcia. Garcia. Casey. 
You rock. Garcia? Gracias. We have too many cameras. I'm not sure. You rock. You rock. Uh, yeah. You rock. You rock. There's three cameras you to, rock. To, yeah, to talk to. It's, it's <laughs> a little confusing. <laughs> that's for you, KCG. If we do this again, we'll be better at it. We promise. Okay, so moving on to the main topic, which is listener questions. Again, we get a ton of emails. Very sorry for the slow response or those we haven't responded to yet. We try to respond to everybody eventually, but it, it could take a little while these days. Um <laughs> One thing I will say, though, is that when you send us deck lists, we can't respond to all of those because those we get hundreds of. And usually I know I know you want us to look at your deck and break it down and give you pointers. And we really wish that we could. But the, the fact of the matter is we get so many of those that if we started going down that road, we literally couldn't make the podcast. We couldn't make game nights and we couldn't sleep at night either because it just would eat up 100% of our time. Yeah, and that'd be one to be brewing the other 100% of the time. Uh, one thing that you can do, though, is if, for instance, is like, hey, I'm having trouble cutting a card, tweet at us the two cards you're considering, and we can tweet a really quick answer and reply to that. It's a much more specific question to ask if you are looking for help with the deck or all that stuff. Yeah, imagine that somebody sent you a deck list of 100 cards and said, what should I change? If you have to look at each card, then you have to consider like how each card works in the deck yeah, against the other cards. Like How long does that take you to actually give them any meaningful advice? Now, try to do that 100 times per week. You understand the conundrum that we're in. So if you can simplify your questions, we are it's much easier for, for us to answer them. Yeah. So we're going to split these questions into two sections. The first section is going to be magic-related. We get, obviously, a lot of commander and magic-related questions, so mm -hmm. we're going to stick on our normal line for that. But we also have gotten a lot of questions recently about sort of the process of our content creation. Oh, yes. And so for the second section, we're going to put that stuff. We know that not every listener is going to be interested in how you know our process for creating the content works, or mm -hmm. some of the questions are about like starting to create your own content. That's right. not something everybody out there wants to do. So we're going to separate that stuff. So once you get to the end of the magic questions, if that's all you're interested in, we'll see you next week. But if you do <laughs> want to listen to the content creation stuff, you're more than happy to stick around. So And we'll still see you next week. And we will still see you next week. All right. These questions are from YouTube. They're from email. They're from Twitter. Sometimes... We're paraphrasing or summarizing questions that we just kind of get asked a lot. Um, in fact, we're going to start with our two questions that we get asked by far and away the most. Number one is... 90% of the time, this is the question. When, when is, is the, the next, next Game, game Nights? Nights? Never. <laughs> we're done. No, nah, just kidding. Uh, game Nights requires a month to create every single time. Now, it takes a day to shoot, but the editing process and everything else that goes into it, making the graphics, making all the animations, the sound design, and all that stuff, is a... It's a lot of work. Yeah. So the answer to your question is next month. Because <laughs> one month is our release schedule for Game Nights. Now, that doesn't mean a month on the day. Just because something came out July 5th doesn't mean August 5th will be the next episode. It'll just be at some point in August, around a month. There's a lot of determining factors for when the next Game Night comes out. Part of it is what Jimmy said about mm -hmm. just raw amount of time it takes us. Also, there's just a lot of responsibilities we have as far as when we're allowed to release because of certain products that we may have gotten a hold of. Right. Yeah. So for instance, for the Arch Enemy episode, we got that product. We have to get the product early in order to shoot the episode with enough lead time to produce it. But then, you know, we have to follow Wizards of the Coast rules as far as when we're allowed to sh to release that because we can't just release it when we're done. We have to release it at a specific date yep. when they say, okay, now enough things are known or this is the day we're allowed to unveil it. So 
uh, generally a month, but yeah. but that's going to be a little bit loose depending on product and things like that. Sometimes you get lucky. There was a month where we released two within, like I think, a couple of weeks of each other, but that's just because things timed up really well, and also I believe one of them was one of those time releases that we had to release at a specific date. Yeah, sometimes every once in a while we're like, you know what? We can kill ourselves and get that done super fast. You can you kill yourself. I sort of sit here and press some buttons. <laughs> I'm like, the sound has been designed or fixed, mixed. Jimmy is underplaying his role somewhat. Yeah. Don't As the best him. player on the show. <laughs> oh, the price of glory. Um, we, right. question, oh, question wait, wait, wait. Uh, what about some exciting changes? changes oh, that's nights? a good point. Uh, thank you for reading the notes. Yes, <laughs> there are some exciting changes coming to Game Nights. Some very exciting stuff. We're not prepared to announce it quite yet, but stay tuned. Game Nights is definitely stay growing tuned. and evolving. And what is our... Um, our philosophy, constant evolution and improvement. Yes, always be evolving, always be growing. Um, never stop birthing potting your content into better stuff. <laughs> That's actually, yes, we are the birthing pot of, con- of magic content. There we go. Yeah, always going Ooh. up the chain. Always going up the chain. Yeah, look at this, look at this podcast setup. <laughs> Here we go. All right, so for the second question is also very similar to the first question, and it's the, the second most asked question. It is, what happened to Deck Doctors? gone it's done forever just kidding it's it is literally related to the first question which is we're spending so much time making game nights and focusing on a lot of the bigger things for instance the changes coming to game nights soon that we can't talk about that the deck doctors episodes are some of the most time intensive things that we ever do on the show and i think we got a little ambitious when we first started thinking that it would be a lot easier and then after doing three or four it became quickly obvious how much time it took and honestly, I, I think this is the case. As viewers, you would rather, much vastly prefer a new episode of Game Nights to be on time rather than another Deck Doctors. That's my assumption, and that's why we're happy to spend more time on Game Nights than Deck Doctors. Yep, I think that's 100% it. Again, hearkening back to what I talked about earlier, if you imagine yourself and someone gives you a list of 100 cards and the time that it takes to break that down, figure out what's wrong, what cards need to come out, what cards need to go in. Is the mana base right? Is But listen, that's only if the very first deck you look at, you Ugh. break it all down and say, okay, that's actually going to be a good show. Because sometimes you do that and you go through that whole process and you're yeah. like, you know what? It's mostly there. There's five cards that need to be changed. You did all that work and now you don't have enough content for an entire episode of the show. And you're looking at it going, well, if I just say take out five cards and add five cards, that's not an episode of the Command Zone. Yeah. And so now I have to go, okay, well, go down to the next deck in line and look through that and try and see if that. And so that process just takes a lot more time, I think, than people realize. I'm not saying we won't do Deck Doctors again. I'm just saying that it's going to be a little while. We have to free up some time in our schedule. We have to get yeah. to a point with game nights where it's not taking up quite so much of our time, and we're hoping we're working towards that, but it's going to be a little while. And we may find a, a better abridged way of doing Deck Doctors. Uh, if, obviously, if you all have suggestions, we are obviously very, very happy to listen to them as well. And the suggestion cannot be do more Deck Doctors. <laughs> I mean, it can. It already <laughs> is that. All right. Now to a more specific question. This is from Mark Jelfo, and it's uh, paraphrased because people like to write a lot, and we just want to keep the questions reasonable. So my collect- he says, my collection has gotten too big, and I like need to... Like the original question was too big as well? Yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're my collection has gotten too big, and I need to downsize drastically, but I can't figure out what to keep and what to sell or throw out. So how large are your own personal collections? How many copies of each card do you keep, and how do you determine which cards to let go of? I'm probably not the best person to ask this, because I'm a bit of a hoarder. Uh... <laughs> But I will say that in general, every time, so let's say I get some cards from a pre-release. I open six packs of cards. 
At the end of the pre-release, I'm going to sort them out into two separate piles, or three sometimes. Uh, one pile is the, these aren't rares, these aren't worth anything, but I could see them having some use in Commander eventually. So they're like cool on commons, interesting commons, things that, or deserts, for instance, in our oh, devastation, yeah. like interesting lands. And those all go in one pile, and then one pile are the rares. And sometimes the ultra pile that it rarely happens is like the cards that are worth $10 or more, that the really expensive chase rares of foil something, uh, and those I know, like, okay, I want to put this into a deck immediately, or I, I need to sleeve this up. And then those go into boxes back at home. And in general, I try to get rid of as much stuff as possible. I either give it to the store, but in general, I try to never have more than four copies of a card unless it's fantastic. Yeah, it's interesting because recently you and I both have sort of moved towards the same strategy, which is on pre-release and release weekend when when you know most of the product we're going to open for that set is open like mm -hmm. we might crack our booster box and there's the pre-release stuff and and after that you know we're going to draft once in a while but it's going to trickle in yeah. it's not like a big bunch of new cards it's just that one time and usually the next weekend we'll just go to a store we have a, a place called frankenstein here in la yep. but it's the equivalent of like going to your lgs and and selling the stuff and we'll just be like okay sell off most of you know the stuff we just don't see that we're going to use immediately yeah and um yeah and commons and uncommons i'm like you i'd like to keep about a play set of each and then literally i will give uh the rest to like a boys and girls club yeah that's something i like to do uh they use them to you know to give to the kids and that teaches other people to play magic and you know something they can have fun with and they're of minimal value to you obviously if there's like fatal push and stuff i'll keep that of mm -hmm. course uh but that, that's pretty rare yeah so and your yeah. lgs usually has like a draft chaff box as well yeah. where people can sort through it and stuff um, in general, though, my personal collection is pretty large. I have a binder for each color, and then I have separate binders for like the expeditions that I own or the very yeah, way rare more cards. organized way, than I am. Yeah, See, I have BCW boxes just full of like rares and <laughs> mythics from old sets. And we only started doing this thing where we were going regularly, sort of after each set, to sort yeah. of sell off. And so before that, I just still have all those bulk rares sitting there. Oh, I never wow. went and sold them. And that's why I started doing this too, because I realized like most of that stuff I'm not going to use. Mm -hmm. And the value is going to actually go down after that first weekend. Yeah. And so I might as well sell it now. And then the stuff that I do end up wanting, I'll go back and pick up later. Yeah, that's a good point. It feels like, oh, I don't want to give that away. What if I want it later? Eh, or guess what, what? If it goes up in price. Yeah. It's like it's just so rare that that happens that yeah. it's like you actually still come out ahead because the stuff that goes down actually is probably more likely than the few things that are going to go up that you happen to want. Yeah. And like I know that a $10 card you got for $1 is like, wow, that's a 10,000% increase. But in the long scope of life, I think you can't get too precious with your cards. You should be able to have more of a leisurely, like, I can sell this off, and, and I'm not going to feel that bad if a card jumps up in price because that's just how things go sometimes. And at the same time, you selling those cards at that point could be worth much more value to you at that moment than waiting five years to sell a card for $10. Yeah, it's a really good point. When you could all of a sudden, you know, have a 401k at that point, and that $10 <laughs> card means nothing to you. Yeah, and I'm like you. I keep about four of every card. I don't know why. That's probably just a holdover from, like, old magic. I will say I that, like, there are certain cards, like Vidalcan Orrery or something. Right. I where I just have, of those. you know, <laughs> I, I just ha can't have too many of those. I'll probably never sell a Vidalcan Orrery because every new EDH back yeah. deck I build is going to put one of those in. So Mirror Gallery took that spot for me in this set. Oh, Mirage Mirror? Mirage Mirror, right. Yeah. I have eight of those now because it's Mirage a Mirror is really good. I think really it's going in a lot of decks. Yeah, that yeah. might be one to hold on to, especially foils. Yeah. Uh, I saw Jason Alt tweet about that the other day. So I'm parroting what he said. That's I not my eight. own opinion. That's somebody smart. Eight foils. You have eight foils? Yeah. Dang. The card's awesome. Two. Three mana goes in every single deck and copies some of the most important cards. Hey, do you want oh, well, doubling season in your non-green yeah. deck? No, you really got good. it. It's really good. <laughs>
All right, so uh, I hope that helps you a little bit, Mark. Don't feel bad about throwing out some cards. And, and, and that's a thing to always remember. You can get the cards back. Yes. There's always going to be cards for sale, I promise. Yeah. So once you, lo- once you get rid of it, you can wait two weeks. And if in two weeks you're like, man, I really wish I still had that, go get it. Go get it. But 99% of the time, you don't even remember that you ever had that card, I promise. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Or if you're like Josh, you don't even remember you have eight of that card in another box right, right now. now. <laughs> so you just bought more. Oh, yeah, that happens all the time. All right, next question from Kevin. Karmarchevacool. It's like Emrakul at the end Karmarchevacool. there. Karmarchevacool. How many infinites that result in killing everyone slash winning the game is too many? What are your opinions of infinite combos in Commander? And then Kevin went on to explain that his playgroup is fine with infinites, but he's just not sure how many infinites in a single deck is tolerable. And I think by this, he means like how many different infinite combos. Right. Like, you know, if you have Exquisite Blood, Sanguine Bond, that's one. One, right. But if you have, you know, also in the same deck, and I, I don't know what deck this is, you had Kiki Jiki Pestermite, that's two. The de- the, that deck doesn't seem to really work it's together, Grixis. but you never know. <laughs> it's Grixis. So, you know, and obviously Kiki could be like, you could have Pestermite, Zealous Conscripts, mm-hmm. um, there's a few others. Um, Deceiver Exarch, yep. that would be three, right? Just there. So, and then you put Splinter Twin, and that's another one, two, three, right? So, it's interesting to consider on the level of how many infinites. I don't know. What do you think? I think, I mean, in general, if I'm going to have an infinite in the deck, I usually just keep it as a one of maybe it, maybe two. Uh, for instance, I had a Kiki Jiki deck, and it was hard not to have at least a few ways to go infinite in that deck. I think the, impossible. To... I think the big thing is more knowing when the infinites hit. So if it's like a turn three infinite combo and you have four of those, then, I mean, no one's going to have fun playing with you. Yeah, and I think it depends on the group. If your group's fine with infinites, I think in general, it also has to do with like, like you could have only one in your deck, Mm -hmm. but your deck is built around finding that specific one. And so you find that one more often than a deck that has five different infinite combos but doesn't tutor. Right. So really to me, the question is how often does your deck reliably go infinite? Yeah. Is it, you know, because so many, in fact, I'd say almost all of the top tier competitive EDH decks are combo decks, and most of them are a specific combo. They're going after a one specific combo. They're not like general combo synergy. They're like, I'm going to get, I'm, I'm, it's Zer Doomsday, and that's right. the combo. I'm going to win the game 99% of the time that way with this deck. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that's kind of a different way to look at it, but it's sort of more important how often is the deck going infinite more than sort of how many how many different ways can it go infinite yeah yeah and they obviously tie together as well i I don't know i I think two to three is probably the upper limit of what i would personally do because at a certain point it you know is the deck's purpose to go infinite or is it to play your commander kind of thing for me like i'd rather have longer interactive games where i have to always be making good decisions and stuff at the same time sometimes i just want games to end so yeah I don't know that it, you can give a number of how many, right? Because it depends on the playgroup, what everybody else is doing, things like that. But I'm sort of with you in that I don't actually like to have a lot. I've built, you know, we've seen it on game nights, like that Kaidel deck that I built. It just kind of ended up winning the same way every time. And I didn't personally find that fun. So I took that right. deck apart because I didn't even want to play it because I didn't find it that fun. But if you find it fun, then fine, play it. And as long as your playgroup isn't like moaning and groaning about it all the time, then. I think if you're in that environment, then there's not really a limit. It's really, just like everything else in our format, more about what your playgroup and your meta, you know, has fun doing, and then do yeah. that. Like, if it's the most infinity combo-y, combo-tastic meta that ever existed, then you can do that all you want. It's great. Yeah. Uh, all right. Great. It's great. I mean, I'm fine with it. We sit down at, at GPs and stuff, and somebody goes infinite. Cool. Yeah. 
for me, it's more like, cool, now I get to have two games with yeah, everyone. cool, awesome. Do you guys want to play one. again? You yeah. Know, it's fine with me. Um, all right, question number five is from Zach, and this is paraphrased as well. Zach says, what are your feelings on letting your opponents fix mistakes or misplays during the game? Jimmy, what do you feel about takesies, backsies? I do it a lot, but only when it's not mad impactful. Sometimes I have offered it up and been like, oh, I probably shouldn't have asked for that. That's That's too much. Yeah, it's a tough thing, and I think uh, again, it's kind of it's kind of the the play group is part of it too. It also, I don't like to ask for takebacks, but if somebody else in that game has asked for one and I've granted it, and I will usually, I almost never be like unless it's so far back. It depends, kind of right. Either if it's so far back, like five turns, like hey guys, I forgot to do Sylvan Library. It's like well, it's a little late for that, especially if you want to draw the card. But if it's something like. Hey guys, uh, I was gonna. Well, actually, I'll say yeah. Something like that if it's way too far back, or if it's like, hey, I could have won the game, and be like, I'm not gonna let you take that back and try to win the game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And especially if the turn's gone, and yeah. pe- you know, depending. But if somebody's like, ah, I forget my Rhystic Study trigger for that spell, you'd be like, well, does he want to pay it? Just draw it. Yeah, like it's fine. Um, you know, if it was like the last turn, but if it was like four turns ago, it's like, well, you kind of yeah. missed your chance well, there. Yeah, triggers off the stack at this point. But again, I normally won't don't want to be the first person to ask for a take back in a game. But mm-hmm. if we're in a game and it's, it seems to be the general consensus is that takes backs are fine like they've been granted a couple times then in that situation i feel like it's fine because we've already established sort of the rule for this game or this group is you know minor take backs are fine yeah minor take backs i've often found that the majority of take backs happen when it's like go to combat uh, i'm gonna swing at you and you and you and then someone goes like uh you can't swing at me or like yeah. hey i have death touch or like hey you need to pay two yeah. to do that and it's like oh sorry i take that back so that's like not a mad, majorly impactful thing, but I think if it really changes the game by a lot, and if it was like a really, imp- let's say like, I'm waiting for a turn to come around, and once it hits my turn, it's game over, and then someone takes back something that like shoots the turns back and really alters what my plan was, I would feel a little worse about it. But in general, I'm I'm pretty forgiving because yeah, I, I just want consistency. Too. So yeah. like, if if someone was hardlined you at some point and was like didn't allow you to take something back that was pretty simple, well then I'm not gonna allow takebacks later because yeah. that doesn't seem fair. Whereas at the same point, if they allow takebacks but then want to stop somebody else from doing it later, that's like just whatever the precedent is, let's stick with that. Um, there was something you said there about attacks, and I actually think that allowing takebacks in certain situations like that does m- make the game actually play faster because our board states get so complicated that if you force everyone to be like, okay, hold on, because we're being real hardline about the rules here, I have to check every single card. Right before I attack anyone. Or yeah, whereas if you allow, like, this guy has death touch. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Uh, I want to take that back. I'm going to allow somebody to take that back because otherwise it leads to what I just talked about, which is like, well, if you're going to be a real hardliner, what's every creature do? i got to remember it right yeah. before I attack, where it's like, if we're going to be loose, then it allows you to kind of be loose that way and things just kind of go faster. Yeah, I, I think especially on the big t- uh, board state, I'd rather... So I won't let someone take back something if it's like, I cast something, I counterspell it. Oh, can I take that back? No, no, no. Cards been, have been revealed. If it's something on the table, I'm a lot more lenient about it, for sure. Yeah, because I don't want you to be in a situation where you feel like you have to at all times know every card on the table or you yeah. can't make a decision, so therefore you're taking 10 minutes to make your decisions. <laughs> all right, next question from Nick Rodriguez. Nick is new to Magic, and he wants to build some decks, but he feels like his collection is lacking and doesn't know where to begin as far as bolstering that with the least amount of toughness what would you recommend a new player to magic buy to have an assortment of everything well i heard you were giving away cards <laughs> we'll go to the boys and girls club um it's an interesting question because as you know it's funny you get these questions and you're like oh that one's easy that won't be on the show and as i thought about it i was like that's an interesting question that is tough to answer magic isn't really yeah. built that way and i would say to nick i think first of all 
you might not want to do that. Mm-hmm. You might not want a large assortment of cards because what's going to happen is, let's say that you win online and they have these like instant collection things where people just sell a bunch of bulk rares and commons and uncommons from random sets for you. You get a thousand cards for like twenty bucks or whatever it is. Actually, I think it's like six bucks, and ninety percent of that's not going to be useful to you. Yeah. Whereas it'd be so much better to you. We have all these tools now. You go online, you pick a deck, you virtually build the deck. You know exactly what cards you want. You go out and you find specifically those cards, and you know every single one of those cards is a card you're going to use. Yeah, and uh, totally. So, so I think the idea of like, oh, I just want a big grand collection is something that organically happens over time, but it's not really something you're aiming for because honestly, ninety nine point nine percent of the cards that I own, and like you said, we have pretty big collections, are just sitting there doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And if I could, I would turn those into useful things. Yeah. But the amount of time that that takes is sort of... But I definitely wouldn't want to be going out and, and getting more use, useless stuff. Yeah, I would definitely not buy, like, a bulk collection or whatever, it, unless you were trying to value hunt or yeah, to flip the finance it. thing. Yeah. yeah, I think the best thing for you to do if you want to have an assortment of everything is, let's say you just want to just make sure it's always updated with new cards. Just do events like pre-releases or go to your LGS whenever a new set comes out and trade in cards and upgrade them so that you're actually constantly not adding to your collection, but you're just shifting it into different things. And I think that would be better, too, because then you actually get to really know what your collection is, know what it's worth, and know what cards are good. Um, another thing, if you're just looking to get an overall, like let's say you wanted a, d- a deck builder toolkit for EDH, I would go and look online for staples in green, white, blue, black, in commander. Look at those cards and see like, oh man, I really want that artifact. Type, that card. I, yeah, would, I would look at the artifact uh, staples yeah. because those go in all the decks. Yeah. Uh, commander precons, another way. Because you know- Actually, yeah, it's a great point. I would, I would always suggest getting the precons if you wanted to get a nice assortment. Yeah, you're going to get a nice assortment and that thing's playable. So yeah. you grab it and you get a precon that's like the Brea precon. You can play it straight out of the box and that thing's going to be good enough to play against most decks, not yep. the maybe the very most powerful. And now- you know, also, it gives you a good starting point of like, oh, I want to add a few cards to this deck, and now mm-hmm. I can pick up singles. And uh, the the big collection assortment of stuff, that's going to happen organically over time. And yeah. actually, when it does, you're going to be like, oh, I wish I didn't have all yeah, this. Don't, so enjoy don't where you're rush at. it. Yeah. Don't rush it, please. <laughs> all right. Question number seven. So in our recent live episode, we discussed conferring before a game and getting a rough idea of what power level everyone is playing sort of on a 1 to 10 scale. And we got a lot of response in the comments on Twitter about people saying, well, how do I know the power level of my deck? So if I sit down and everyone says, okay, I'm playing a six, like which of, how do I know what my decks are on that scale of one to 10? Uh, which was it's interesting. True. We got this, asked this a lot and I was like, oh, we, we didn't, we didn't explain this very good. I don't think. It's a sliding scale though, right? Too. Cause sometimes you think your deck is a nine, but really it's a six or whatever. And even in that episode, I talked about sitting down and, and with some guys I hadn't played with before them saying seven and me pulling out a deck and realizing halfway through that game that their scale was different than mine and my mm-hmm. deck was a little too powerful. And so, yeah, I think that's the first thing to realize is that, it's more of an art than a science. It's a guessing game. It's just a beginning point. You're not going to be able to sit down. Everybody says seven, and uh, you know it's just fine every yeah. time. Yeah, you have to sort of bow to the idea that, like, listen, we're just aiming at a target in the dark here, and we're trying to get close so that you know maybe, maybe it's not like it's it's way better than just not saying anything before the game. Yeah, and the best way too is just to test it out against other decks and try and gauge what those decks' power levels are. So, for instance. In a vacuum, an 8 should always beat a 7, a 9 should always beat an 8, 
or at least uh, like an eight or a seven would have a really hard time to try and beat an eight sort of thing. So if you're playing a game and you realize, wow, I'm I'm very consistent with this deck, but I'm not beating the other's decks. So you know that like, okay, my deck's good, but it's not powerful because of X, Y, and Z. Or you can see where the other decks are more powerful and why it does that. So for instance, like we said earlier, if you're infinite comboing all over the place, then your deck's power level is obviously going to be a lot higher. So those are the sort of things to gauge is like gauge it when you play games with other people and then try and guess what their power level of decks. Even ask them, right? What, yeah, what do you level. think yours is? Just so I know, you know, you can ask after the game yeah. if you're not doing the thing before, just so I can sort of gauge where my deck feels like it's at. A lot of it has to do with just seeing other decks and playing your deck and realizing that your your scale is just never going to be perfect. Mine isn't, yeah. Jimmy's isn't for every group. And just doing your best to sort of give it a number value based on the experience that you have. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're going to constantly adjust how you determine that number value for each deck, and eventually you'll, you'll get good. But even, like I said, even I'm going to sit down, and I've played with a lot of different people, and be off. The barometers are going to be off, and that's just kind of the way that it goes. But, like I said, it's just way better than sitting down and not having that conversation, and then you don't even know if anybody's yeah. just aiming for 10 or aiming for 5. I would also say if 1 to 10 is too large of a scale, try 1 to 5. Because when we said 1 to 10, I'm like, I don't think I've ever played against a 1. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Nobody ranks their deck at a 4. So we really are doing a 1, a one to 5 scale. We're just starting yeah, at 5 and five going, to, going 10. to 10. Yeah, yeah that's so, a good point. So that might be easier for you to gauge where you're at as well. All right. Question number 8. Ocho from Jack Strobel. I've been consistently finding myself stuck in the late game with too much mana. My group's games tend to go long, and at some point I'll have 20 to 30 mana. What is the best option for using up that mana to win when big spells aren't enough? This is an interesting question. Yeah. Well, you will always have a lot of mana late game. That's just sort of how it goes. You're going to draw more lands, and you'll have more turns to play stuff. 20 to 30 mana should win you the game. Yeah, I think we're both <laughs> thinking the same thing, uh, Jack, which is that... If your games are consistently going that long, then you need to be building your decks in a way that, like, okay, that 20 to 30 to mana, once I get around there, I will be able to win. Yeah. That may be using things that have mana sinks on them, like the new gods. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it's just sequencing your play, knowing that you're going to get to the point where, oh, I'm going to be able to cast these two specific things in sequence, and that followed by this doubling season followed by this planeswalker is gonna end the then game. ultimate is gonna end the game yeah. and so that you can get to the point where i can because that's usually i think in fact i would say that most commander games are won by not combo necessarily but two specific things happening in a row very few commander games are like chip away at you chip away at you chip away at you you finally die it's mm -hmm. usually like chip away a little bit then i play something and either i play something else that turn or that hap that thing i've played happens to survive and then on my next turn i complete the plan by right. playing the other thing and that kind of ices the game that's a lot of work to get there if you have 20 to 30 mana i mean like usually insurrection is a game winning-esque card and that's 10 mana Tooth also if you're, yeah you shouldn't build decks to try and win at, at turn 20 because you're so rarely going to get there and i think other play groups that that's not really the point to have like oh let's put in more mana sinks because i'm always going to 20 to 30 right mana. true uh, if anything, it's more like, how do I get to 20 to 30 mana by turn 8? Let's say you're playing a mono-black deck and you want to play Exsanguinate to win the game. Then in that case, you're looking to double your mana and get to that 20 to 30. But I wouldn't be like, well, I know I'm going to get to 20 to 30 mana by turn 18 or 19, so how should I win from that point on? It's like, you should people should have been winning earlier so that you don't need to get in this conundrum. It also sort of is determined by what's causing the games to go long. Are they going long because there's a ton of board wipes? Yeah. 
in your meta and it's just the board's just getting wiped and so the game just can't end? Or are they going long because everyone's dirtling so much and mm-hmm. not like playing anything that wins so that there's not or is it like super pillow forty so nobody can get through like all the stuff? In which case I would attack those specific things, right? So if it's board wipes and things like that, maybe you win through non creatures or mm-hmm. you find a way to protect stuff from board wipes. Uh, you know, counter spells or, or things like faith reward and stuff like that. If it's pillow 40 stuff, you probably need some more spot removal for things like lands and enchantments. Mm-hmm. If it's, you know, the thing where everyone's just dirtling, well, then you just need to be more proactive and play stuff that's going to, you know, like maybe insurrection or something is good in that, or, or maybe that you need a combo. Maybe you yeah. need tooth and nail. Um, or crater hoof behemoth. Yeah. But mana sinks are still good. And I think, you know, I'm going to talk about an expensive card, but cards like Sensei's Divining Top, at least it's a little cheaper these days, are cards that allow you to sort of find throughout the game the yeah. pieces you need to put together that plan. You know, if I have top, I'm so much more likely to be in a situation on turn 10 or 11 where I'm like, okay, my plan is to drop this and then this. Right. Because I will have sifted through my deck to find those specific cards that I have a plan to win. Yeah, and what's that card that you have that, uh, sorry, is it Thrasios? Yeah, that allows you to just scry and put yeah, lands on so the table. Yeah, so that's an example of a good mana sink yeah. that can help get you to your win conditions. If you have things that can auto-scry, do a lot of just like deck manipulation, then that's kind of, I think, the, the ideal way to use more mana. That is not something that dilutes your deck. Yeah, if you're getting to 20, 30 mana and you're playing like Mind's Dilation and stuff, that's I could see that happening where it's yeah. like, that card's cool. That ain't going to necessarily win you the game on the yeah. spot in the way that you need to. You need proactive cards that are doing stuff rather than all sort of accumulate value cards. All right. All right. That's going to do it for our magic related question and answer period of the show. All eight of them. All eight of them. We need to call out our sponsor, Card Kingdom. I have a cool Card Kingdom sticker right here. You can get one too if you just ask for it when you put it in an order using yeah. our affiliate link, cardkingdom.com slash command zone. We say it all the time. You're going to buy magic cards anyway. If you just use the affiliate link, then you're supporting the show and helping to keep the lights on. Uh, and and in, in this case, we have a lot more lights than normal because Rocket <laughs> Jump is just <laughs> hooking it up. So well, I will good. say that usage of a space like this, the reason that looks so much better we have multiple cameras is because we're able to use equipment. Now, this time it's coming to us absolutely gratuit, gratis. But uh, this is something that we're looking into to help upgrade the show. And it's something that we want to bring to the, the viewers as well so that they can see what you know their support is going to. And also, this show is brought to you by Ultra Pro. Ultra Pro, great company. Look at all this stuff. You're not going to play Magic without running into Ultra Pro stuff. And they're, you know, we've met with them a bunch of times. They're committed to actually upping their quality, and they're not messing around. They're not just like, hey, we're at the top. We're just going to make poopy products. No, they, I mean, they made new sleeves. They're always coming out with new designs. The playmats are the top-notch quality. Everyone that's received an Aftermath playmat so far from our Kickstarter has been gushing about the quality of it. So Ultra Pro does great product stuff, and we're very proud to have them as sponsors of the show as well. They are the best. So please support the show by supporting our sponsors. Okay. If you're still here and you didn't leave because, uh, you know, you're interested in the content creation Q&A part of this episode, well, you're in luck. Here we go. Let's talk about game nights. Sure. So we get a lot of questions about game nights. Um, We thought that this would be a good place to do some general Q&A. So first question, Jimmy, and this is kind of – I guess let's do a a quick breakdown. So Jimmy and I both oversee the whole show – but Jimmy is more versed in sort of the actual physical production of anything than I am. I'm sort of a more of a post guy. So once, mm-hmm. the, if you don't know what that means, the production is the part where you actually are capturing the footage that you're going to use. This is production of our podcast right now, for yeah. instance. Cameras are rolling, lights are on, people are performing or whatever. And 
then once that's all shot, you take all that stuff and now you're manipulating it and sort of you're sort of tweaking it and moving it around to create the final product. And that part of the process is called post-production. And that's mm-hmm. really the part of the process that I am more involved with now. Jimmy does the sound mix, which is a post-production process. He does the color timing, which is taking all of the footage and adjusting the color on literally like every shot so that it all looks as good as it can look. And that's stuff that happens in post-production. And of course, on the day of the shoot, I do direct the episodes, which means that, and Jimmy helps out with this too, so it's not just a, you know, one person's doing anything. That's just not how this stuff works. But that's- It'd be impossible. Yeah, that's on the day, like what's happening in the game, what- is the storyline of that episode going to be? How are we going to tell it so that when we're interviewing each other later, we know which parts to sort of concentrate on? Maybe, you know, people are going to come up, they're going to interview, we're going to ask questions, but you're going to have a certain slant or bent that you sort of want the storyline to take, and you're going to lean them towards those Mm -hmm. things by asking the questions that need to be asked. That's all stuff that occurs. So a big general question we get a lot just is physically and, and sort of, from an equipment standpoint, like how do we shoot game nights? So I recently posted a picture on Instagram that has a very good breakdown of what it looks like when we shoot game nights. And this is our more leveled up version. So we actually had a judge come in that was able to sit at the top of the table. With Danny Betterman. With a computer, yep. And uh, basically keep track of every single play, what happened, who played what, and whether or not we messed up any rules interactions. Now, that is something that we've just added more recently because it turns out we do make a lot of rules mistakes, and oh, it, make, it gives Josh a huge headache in post to try and fix them or at least gloss over them in a way that you don't get distracted by them um, because obviously we've seen if you mess up a rules interaction, the comment section is more than happy to correct you thousands of times about it. Just the next time you play a game of Commander, I want you to like note down each time like a little rules mistake is made or caught later or yeah. even not caught. And then imagine like we're in the edit bay later because that's what, how we were doing it. And all of a sudden we've realized that Karmic Guide has protection from black and we used it to block a black creature and it died. So yeah. how do we fix that? That's an actual that? thing that happened. Yep. Uh, so what we do is we have two cameras uh, pointing at the players that are sitting on both sides of the table. So these are called two shots because there are two people inside it. And we use Canon C100 Mark IIs for that with just a stock, I think, 24 to 70 millimeter lens. And the 24 to 70 means it's a zoom lens so that when you can, you can tw- twist the lens to make it go closer or further. Uh, and that's just a very normal stock lens. There's nothing super special about those cameras. We do film it flat, which means that when we're filming it, it's not already colored. And so when you film it, it actually looks kind of gray, kind of greenish, and uh, it's not very crisp in terms of color. So when, col- and when you go and color it later, you're actually crushing the darker side of things, making the brighter stuff lighter, adding color to it, and that's color correction. And the reason we shoot fly is to give you more uh, flexibility in how you color it later on and really get the full effect. You actually shoot it knowing you're going to color it so yes. that you plan for that, basically. Yeah. Uh, the way that we get the overhead view of the table we is We get asked a, this so often. Yeah, it's just a GoPro. Uh, it's a GoPro filming at 2.7K resolution, and it's taped to a lamp on top of the table. <laughs> Uh, and I use my iPhone to look at it to make sure it, it, the angle is right, and then you just press record and just let it go. And those files are huge because 2.7K is a very large file format. But, you know, Josh needs to punch in on certain parts of the table when he's editing. It needs to be crisp as well. The very first game that we did, we used a different GoPro. And you can, if you go back and look at that overhead footage, the quality difference is drastic. Yeah, you. when he says punch in, he means that certain parts of the table you're going to want to zoom in on digitally. But if the resolution of the footage that you've taken is not high enough as you zoom in it starts to degrade and it starts to look blurry and grainy yeah, and so yeah you need 
you'd think that on the cameras that are pointed at the people, you'd want the highest resolution, but actually you don't tend to move those around that much, so they can actually be, they're still HD and everything, yeah. but they don't need to be crazy. The overhead footage, because you want to focus on different areas and things, needs to be as crisp as possible. So uh, it's literally just gaff taped to a lamp, though. It's just taped to a lamp. Taped to a lamp. Like an overhead. It just happens lamp. to be on top of where that table is, yeah. Every once in a while, somebody will bump or nudge something in a way that the 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 lamp will sort of sway <laughs> and that's and if you don't know i'll i am changing things in post to the point of like you'll be looking at the table but i'll actually have made it so half the table is a different time than this other half because you know i'm trying to speed things up so i want jimmy yeah. to go and then i want mel to immediately act after jimmy's turn is done so i'm actually up cutting but it doesn't you can't tell with the eye because i've just taken the table on mel's side of the table is actually yeah. happening at a different time than jimmy's side of the table well if it's swaying that kind of gets a little dicey so that's yeah. some things we run into and that's we do that not to change the outcome of the game because the game still ends the same way it's just to make it a better viewing experience or to fix rules errors yeah and the whole idea of game nights is fast 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 pop 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 make sure pop, that pop. i say forest go jimmy's going island go it's not like in a normal game, that's not how it works, right? Force go, yuck, 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 laugh, 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 draw, draw my card, card. Draw a card. Oh, complain, Think about blah, it for blah, blah. something. Yeah. Yeah. Go, but we're just upcutting all that stuff. So um, another question we get asked a lot is how do the, the interviews and the games work? So do you pause the game to re uh, do you pause the game while you're recording them? Do you take notes? You know, do you stop and do interviews midway through? And do you script any of the play or anything? No, there's nothing scripted. If it comes off scripted, it's because we're hamming it up. <laughs> we do ham it up sometimes because we're looking for little jokes, and people will yeah. just naturally like come up with a funny thing to say, and we'll sort of be like, oh, yeah, but okay, because in Mel's interview she said this, I want you to say that, but that's not scripted in the way that like we scripted the game. We're just coming up with little yeah. things that are going to be funny. No one's molding their hands or the cards they draw. Um, Stuff like, for instance, like, oh, we're, we're being salty this episode, so I'm going to dump salt in the water bottle. Good That's example. just like, came up with it on the spot. Nothing, it wasn't specifically like, hey, Jimmy, we need you to get salty today. Um, just find any time that Josh Kim does something and gets salty over it. It's like, no, 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 that's, that's not how these games work. And it also wouldn't, we would not have a good time doing that if we did as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point, a really good example, right? So in that episode, we just play the game. And the way it works is we just play the game. And we stop once in a while to take notes. Yeah. And we also have now um, Danny, the judge, who's sitting there, and he's actually recording every single play that happens. This that We've only done that for one episode, though. Every other episode is just us taking notes, each individual person stopping like every other turn mm -hmm. and taking notes about what's going on. But everything else about the play is natural, except for we may stop and say, like, okay, what happened is that somebody laughed, and so what you did wasn't clear. So let's just have you redo it, Jimmy. And so you'll pick up the cards you already played and just clearly – play them so that just for camera you'll just say right i play this card i play that card i pass turn nothing about what you're doing ch is changed based on the camera it's just that we're just clarifying some things but we never say things like hey play this card because that'll be really cool yeah you know make an in-game decision that you wouldn't normally make or blah blah blah. that's just not how the show that we want it to go because the games need to be real they need to feel like commander games that would actually happen so that's the first thing i would say about scripting the other thing is the interviews the salt thing is such a great thing, right? Because Jimmy just came up with the idea to grab salt and the glass of water. And, like, he literally sat down for the interview. And I saw the glass of water in his hand. I didn't even know what he was doing. So oh. <laughs> I'm, like, asking him the questions as the interviewer. And he just pours out the salt and starts doing it. And it's like, oh, perfect. That's great. Because that's something Jimmy came up with on the fly. Yeah. And each interviewee has the ability to do that. And then, of course, we came up with other things to do with the glass 
that ended up in the episode also because yeah. like well he's got it now I'm gonna play off it also as the interviewer yeah so the most that we get scripted is like you know for instance like oh we're gonna have Gavin sneak up on everyone and kill them during their yeah. interviews you know like that's as far as we go but the games themselves are the games you see uh, minus any mistakes because those have been edited out <laughs> some still make it in sometimes because yeah. we don't always we don't always catch them uh, dragons Uvara Hellkite we got it all right how long <laughs> does it take to make why can't you release episodes more often we addressed this earlier in the episode it's about a month per so that's why it's just tough for us to release episodes more often we, we want to trust me if we could release an episode every day we would jeez yeah, we'd be very popular if we did that. Although yeah. you guys probably would get bored of the show if we did it that often. Yeah. Yeah. It just takes a ton of time. Like we said, one day of shooting, but then there's the scheduling of that shoot. Then there's, you know, as soon as we shoot, we're talking about 16 hours or so of footage because of all the yeah. different cameras and the interviews and everything. And Jimmy has to take that stuff. He has to color time it. Then he has to get it to me. So there's either a process by which it gets uploaded to a drive. I have to go pick it up. Mm -hmm. I have to download it. Now I have to go through all the footage and catalog it so that it can then be taken the 16 hours and then cut down to the 30 minutes that it is. I think people underestimate how difficult that is. Let's imagine that Jimmy plays a card on the table and explains what that card is. And then every other person, we have an interview with them saying how they're reacting to that card. Now, we get to the game. I show Jimmy play that card. What do I show? Do I show Jimmy talking about that card? Do I show Mel reacting to that card? Do I show me reacting to that card? Do I show Cassius re reacting to that card? Do mm -hmm. I somehow find something where two are similar and they play off of each other? What are no other cards that are going to get played after or have already been played before that I want to make sure we're reacting to in regard to that card? Now do that for every card that's played in the entire game and you realize yeah. like how long it takes and why it takes so long. You know, People think it's easy, but it comes down to like, oh, I, I know that you're going to be salty in this episode. Yeah. Well, I need to make sure that that makes sense when it happens. It can't just be like, like you suddenly got salty. It has to be like we see the seeds of it right. and we see people reacting. So um, one month is probably what we're going to stay out for forever. 100 hours of editing minimum. Yeah. It's more these days because now there's all the animations and stuff. It's gotten complicated. Super fun. Love the show. Love that you all love it. Wish we could do it faster. We cannot. Cannot. All right. Let's talk about the podcast. Right. So <laughs> we've been asked this a lot recently, maybe like – 10 times in the last like month or so. So a lot of people are excited to start up their own podcast or their own YouTube channel, which is awesome. Good, uh, Good stuff. Yeah, and we're glad that people are finding some inspiration from our content, and they're asking us like for advice and tips on how to begin. So what tips and advice do you have for someone starting their own podcast, YouTube channel, et cetera? Well, we've said this a lot, and you've said it a lot, which is don't do something that someone else is already doing. Uh, unless you're going to do it so much better, right? You, you can start there, but what's your difference? Yeah. Because also, like, creatively, you're going to be frustrated if you're just carbon copying something else. Now, it's great to have jumping off points. For instance, if you're like, I want to do stuff like the command zone, but I'm only going to do deck text, and I'm going to do it my way. 100%. That's a great original, clear concept and perspective that you're going to put it towards it. That isn't just like, I'm, oh, they just did this, I'm going to do this too. They just did this, I'm going to do this too. That's not going to really fulfill you as a creator or may help you grow, if that makes sense. Yeah, have your own perspective. Have a sort of clear concept, a mission statement of what it is that you want to do. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people also, even if they're not carbon copying something, they are in a situation where they're saying they don't really know why they're creating content. Like, what do you have to right. say? What is it, you know, we had things to say about Commander because we wanted to be sort of limited resources for Commander. So we wanted to get a little more nuts and bolts about the strategic aspect yeah. of it. And we didn't see content out there. So that was our mission statement was to create that because we felt like nobody was. So what's your statement? Why are you doing the content? Like, 
you should have a voice in, a, in something that you want to say. Yeah, and I would also say like look at the best, look at your favorite content creators and see how they're different. For instance, like the Magic Man Sam, what does he have to say? A lot, and it's very specific in terms of like I want to break down an artist, I want to talk about how their art affects the style and the lore of the thing. You know, like he has a very clear. If you were to write a thesis sentence about what his stuff was, it'd be really easy to. If his stuff was all muddled and always different and didn't really have like a clear direction, it'd be a lot harder to do it. And it could be as simple as like we are we aim to provide the top tier content for X, or we want to be your best source for deck decks. We want to be your best source for card alters. You know, like you should be able to encapsulate what you're doing into a really concise sentence. Going along with that, I think it's really important to plan. So a lot of people are very excited to create the content. And it's almost like they want to put you the record button as fast as possible. And it's like, wait a minute, what is it that you're going to do once it's recording? Mm-hmm. Like plan out, you know, your first episode of your podcast, your first YouTube video, whatever it is, have a plan, be concise about it, be tight. You know, you're going to get to the point eventually where people will be forgiving of digression or playing around a little bit or whatever. But when you're starting out, you need to be on your mission statement. You need to make it clear. You need to be on point. You know, I see this a lot from budding podcasters who – Listen, Jimmy and I, we we joke around a lot, you know. Mm-hmm. Our our podcast definitely will meander from time to time, which we never did at the start because we never would have gotten an audience starting that way. Yeah. Once people got to know us, then they're forgiving of that sometimes. Obviously, some of you still complain about it, which is fine. Totally get it. Um, but I think if you begin by trying to be like your personality is going to carry the entire show, then... Well, you better have an amazing personality. Yeah, I hope you do too, because I would listen to it if your personality was that good. Right, but you're going to be in a much better state if you have your mission statement, you plan it out, yeah. and then you know your personality comes out, and that can start to become part of the show, but it's mm-hmm. not the thing that sort of grabbed people from the beginning. Yeah, totally. Um, quality. Uh, obviously, this is something that we've always put a huge focus on. Um, I came from a music and sound background, as well as a video-making one, so... That was a big part of when we first started out, which is I don't want this to sound like we're talking into my telephone or talking into a windy tunnel. Uh, This needs to sound good because the people that are listening to it will be doing so in their cars when they can turn it up or on headphones. And having like a jarring sound halfway through is just unacceptable. And that goes for video as well. And that's why obviously now we have a moving camera in front of us. (laughs) Craziness. Yeah, think about things like lighting if you're doing video. Things like... Things like sound quality. You also said headroom, so let me fix your camera. Oh, yeah, yeah. Headroom is a thing to think about. Um, Headroom can be very easily fixed by just using digital processes through your editing device that can punch in to what you're doing. Now, I said headphone, or I said headroom because we have seen a lot of content uh, over the years, and a lot of times we look at each other and go, what are they doing with the headroom? And the most common headroom mistake is way too much. So yeah. you'll often see like a person and their head is in the middle of the let's, screen. Let's show them. For instance, okay. If, if we were to have too much headroom, it'd be yep. like, hey guys, you're listening to the Command Zone podcast. Uh, here's Jimmy's camera angle. The, this this happens a lot. And you actually see content <laughs> like this. And listen, I'm not, I'm not making fun of those people because I understand that's a common mistake that people make. But if you just Google how's the correct way to frame a shot yeah. and how can I make my sound quality better, you'll come up with a million options and you'll learn that like you don't want very much headroom. You just really don't. Now right. you... You want to make sure that you're not cutting off someone's head. But Unless you're in time, very, very, yeah. very close up, then sometimes it's okay. But yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something I think Google can help you. The other thing is just practice. So a yeah, lot of times. a lot. Do you know that Jimmy and I recorded six episodes of the Command Zone? Six. Six complete episodes. Those, those were two-hour episodes back in those days. 
before we released it, even the first one. So we had all six. We did one. We did it again. We improved it. We did the second one. We didn't release it. We made sure that everything could be edited. Everything could be as pristine as we could make it at that time before we released it because we learned so much by the process of doing three or four that we could then take those lessons and apply them to all of the first six and come out the gate with the highest possible quality. So don't be so excited to get your content in front of people that you forget, hey, I can sort of review it and refine it here and learn from. Really the gap between the very first thing you do and the second thing you do because you're going to learn so much in the very first time that I almost would – advise anybody the first time you do anything just consider it a throwaway <laughs> yeah throw away but not for the lessons learned right that that actual footage is not going to be used but yeah, yeah. The, the lessons are going to be there yeah yep 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 this yep, is a big yep. one so and I, it's going to sound weird but you you need to alter your voice and your mannerisms like jimmy and i talking here yes. this is not a real conversation oh no we don't talk like this in real life sometimes we get into it if we're in a political discussion in a game, we might get this animated. But in general, yeah. we're over-animating a little bit right now because there's cameras rolling and there's a microphone in front of us. Yep. And a big part of this that helps a lot is putting headphones on when you record. So you can really hear what the other person sounds like. You can like follow the flow of the thing. Like Notice how I'm saying my words with emphasis and I'm speaking up here. I'm not just being like... Uh, you always want to make sure to alter your voice and mannerisms uh, to really just make people interested. But in that's content. how we talk a lot of times, right? It's like, okay, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to tap on that. Yeah. Talk like that. That, that voice has no place in radio. It has no place in television. Mario Lopez does not talk in normal life like he does when he's in front of the camera, which tends yeah. to be 24 hours a day. It's Brian Seacrest, same thing. Even if you listen to like NPR, which people consider like put me to sleep radio, they are very animated, and they have a lot of different inflections when they talk. They're using their voice to the full potential. Yeah. We... People say to us all the time, I love your passion. I love how much you love the format. I believe that comment stems from how we talk and how we engage with the audience. It's not what I'll call, you know, I call it nerd voice. And that's how a lot of us talk. And that's how I talk a lot in normal day because I, or especially when I'm playing the game. Yeah. It's just understated. You're not hitting your words real hard. You're not over enunciating or emphasizing. Yeah, because no one talks like that in real life, really. Unless they're like theater trained and all they want to do is speak from the diaphragm. Anybody that talks like that all the time is going to be exhausting to be around. Yeah, pretty <laughs> sure, pretty sure about that. Oh, this is a really good one. Be consistent. Consistency is king. We used to say that all the time when we first started YouTube. Um, because let's say you release a great first episode, awesome first impression. Everyone's like, wow, that's so awesome. Can't wait for the next one. And then a year later, it's like, oh, man, that was a great project. I should have continued it. <laughs> Yeah, what happened to that? And even happens? if you then release something, all your hype has died down. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the same thing kind of with planning and practice, which is like if you're going to do something, make sure you can be consistent and plan for it. And that doesn't mean consistency like you. I have to release a video a day or a mm-hmm. video a week. Just whatever it is, be consistent with it. And make sure the people that are watching it know when to expect it as well. Yeah, it's about trust with your audience, right? If they can trust that you're going to come out with this stuff at a certain time, at a certain quality level, they are going to be loyal to you. Yeah, totally. Um, Okay, another big one. These are all big ones. Stop worrying about your download numbers and your views. In fact, never worry about them. The most toxic members of the YouTube community would be the ones 
growing up uh, in YouTube that would always be talking about their numbers, always be obsessed with the right collabs, who that they wanted to go with, and whether or not this collab someone else did did well, and what they, you know, like... Yeah, they get real competitive with it. You're just literally poisoning the pot of your own creativity the more you worry about superficial things like views and numbers. They are important. I'm not saying they're not important, but it's not something that you should focus slash have anxiety about slash be worried about slash do anything that's going to negatively affect the way you make your content. In sports, there's a saying... And it's in a lot of things, but it's prevalent in sports, which is trust the process. Mm -hmm. So if you're working with a shooting coach in basketball and you, you don't have a good jump shot, and the coach is going to tell you, like, bend your wrist, widen your hand, set your feet a certain way, right. bend your knees. When you do that the first few times, you're not going to make the shot. It's only over repeating that and trusting the process of learning to do all those things, and eventually your shot's going to get better. Mm -hmm. If you stare at your numbers too much, you can be in a position where you're just chasing them all the time and trying to figure things right. out. Instead of relying on, like, listen, I'm going to make sure my quality's high, my video looks good, you know, my uh, my persona on camera is as good as possible, my show's tight, blah, blah, blah. You worry about all those stuff, man, I promise the numbers and the views will come. If you go try and reverse engineer it the other way, you, you, you can get yourself into trouble. Yeah. All right. The last one. After having said all of this, and, 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 and I realize that this list we've just given can sort of hamper people actually from making content because it can right. seem scary. I got to do all that. Yeah. And but, we just told you not to worry about stuff too. And yeah. now you got all this stuff to worry about. Yep. So all this supersedes everything we just said. Just do it. Yeah. Just make the content. Don't let all these hurdles get in your way. End of day, these are all stuff you should do to some extent if mm -hmm. you can. But the most important thing is you make content. Yeah, making content is the best way to learn, too. I'll go back to my first YouTube videos, and I had these things in my head, like I, I wanted the quality and all this stuff, and I watch it, and I go, ugh, <laughs> everything about this is awful. But here's the thing. I At the time when I released it, it was the best thing I'd ever done. And you're not going to get to that point unless you start releasing content, and you're not going to be able to grow from from any starting off point until you start making stuff for yourself. And you can't improve if you don't have a starting off point. Yeah. And that's the most important note, really, is do it and then concentrate on improvement every time. And if each time you just improve by a quarter of a percent, yeah. all of a sudden after 10, 20 videos or podcasts or whatever, you're way better than you were when you started. So yeah. don't let all this stuff scare you to the point, you know, paralysis by analysis. Yeah. Just make the content. No one got to where they were today without, but by not doing something first. Yep. Every single actor, every single, like, even Brad Pitt's had bad movies, right? Like, everyone has had those things that aren't perfect, their first tries at something, their first forays into it. And I would almost always, I would rather have tried it than not at all. All right. Unless it's like a Pepsi commercial where I give a Pepsi to, like, a riot police officer. <laughs> in which case, I would not recommend just doing it in that case. But in general... Well, just, luckily, just do it is the Nike. Uh, perfect is the Nike uh, ad, right? Perfect and the old one. Yeah, we are united in this decision. <laughs> All right, to the listeners, how do you guys handle opponents or your own misplays and takebacks? Do you guys have any rules? Are there any especially egregious times when you think that they should never be allowed? Let me know. Let yeah, I'd love to know if people have like specific ways that they handle it because we're pretty loose, right? Mm -hmm. Depending on the group and what's happened that game or games before, we might change it. You know, right. is that the way you guys operate or do you have a certain like no misplays at all or however you want to do it? Yeah. Uh, I'm curious. Uh, also, how do you feel about infinite combos? We know a lot of people out there like um, the commander and guys, they don't like them at all. They have a mm -hmm. house rule against them. Uh, we're the other end of the spectrum where we're pretty much fine with them. How are you guys uh, out there feeling about infinite combos? Yeah. Do you allow them? Do you like them? 
A lot of people like them. I like them. I don't. I don't care that yeah. much about them. To me, it's one of those uh, favorite ice cream ice cream flavor things. Yeah. Like it's. Please don't come on and say infinite combos are bad. Like that's just a fact of life. It's right. It's not. Now you can think they're bad, obviously, because you can think that pistachio gelato is the best ice cream flavor. Mm-hmm. But you're wrong because it's chocolate, vanilla, strawberry. Boring. All right, let's <laughs> mango. move on. Mango. Ooh. Actually, I like pistachio quite a bit. I like sorbets these days. Uh, all healthy. I should like sorbets. Well, I mean, I'm lactose intolerant, so there is that. All right. <laughs> Moving on to the end step where we talk about, 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 about something cool outside the world of magic. Uh, I actually have something all right. that takes that goes back back to you saying about the take backsies thing. Whereas oh. like, if someone else does it, then you'll allow it later on in the game. Um, so there, uh, Wes tweeted this out, or I think he Facebooked it. It's, a, it's an online thing you can go to called The Evolution of Trust. And uh, we'll post the website, but it's n the letter n case.me slash trust. It's about thirty minutes, and what it does is it walks you through, it walks you through game theory and whether or not how trust works. And the game is essentially the trust game. So you and another player are going to go to a a box, and you can choose whether or not to cooperate or cheat against the other player. If you cheat and they cooperate, you get three coins and they get minus one coin. If you both cooperate, you both get two coins. And if they cheat and you cooperate, they get plus three coins and you get minus one coin. So it's asking, what do you do? Do you cheat every single time? Do you always try to cooperate even though you get less coins total and they get coins too? And it's really interesting because what happens is they start analyzing different kinds of players. And there is a player that, for instance, is the copycat. So they'll do exactly what you just did. There's also a player that always trusts you until you break their trust. There's a person that's a detective where they'll cooperate and then cheat and cooperate. And then afterwards, if you retaliate with a cheat, then it's going to play like that. So it's like trying to investigate what's happening. There's a grudger who starts cooperating until you cheat and then it always cheats. And there's someone that just always cooperates. And it examines what trust means in a game format and whether, and, and especially on a large scale, like thousands of people, the mistakes that we also naturally make. And at the end, it's really cool. You can like st- distribute the players differently and set off the different payoffs, payoffs. and the rules, how many rounds it's going to play. There's and been then, a lot of studies, I think, in economics and in sociology that are sort of similar to this yes. setup. It's, 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 I've read about that. It's really it's interesting. Yeah. And it all based off the story of during World War One on Christmas when both parties, uh, the Germans and the Russians, uh, the Russians I think. Russians? Uh, no, German soldiers and British soldiers oh, yeah. uh, got up and, and had a ceasefire, essentially. No one fired anyone. No one killed anyone. And they like buried their dead, exchanged gifts, played games on Christmas specifically without saying anything. So it's... It's how human trust evolves and whether or not it works in large scales. It's really interesting. It's 30 minutes, and I, I'll probably have to do it a couple more times to really understand it all, but it's a really fun study. Sweet. Definitely. Check that out and let us know how that goes. All right. That's going to do it for our end step, and that's going to do it for our episode. As always, if you want to send us questions, comments, feedback, but especially questions so we can do more episodes like this, you can go to commandzonecast at gmail.com, Twitter at commandcast, or leave a comment uh, on YouTube. So Yeah. Yeah, another thing you should check out while you're on YouTube. Are they on YouTube? Yeah, a little bit. They have some videos on YouTube, but they're mostly just on our system. While you're on Collected.Company, which is where our podcast also lives, you can check out our sister podcast, The Masters of Modern. I know all their stuff's there. Alex Kessler, Ben Bateman, they talk about the modern format and all things competitive magic. You can follow them on Twitter at the MMCast. You know what else is awesome? (laughs) Our editor, Terry (laughs) Robertson, who edits the shows, and now he has three cameras to play with, so make sure you guys check that out at YouTube.com slash The Command Zone Podcast. And also, big thanks to Jeffrey Palmer, as always. He does the Living Card animations in front and at the end of our shows. You can find them on Twitter at Living Cards MTG. 
All right, everybody. Which camera am I supposed to say goodbye to? I'm going to say goodbye to the moving camera because yes. it's cool. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Peace. If I hold it, does it look cool because it's moving? It's Parallax? It's moving way too slow. <laughs> yeah. You could speed ramp it or something, Terry. So For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. <laughs> <laughs> if it moves really fast, when we look like bullet time, like Matrix. Yeah, you have to start doing. Whoa. You have to do this for like another 20 seconds while it goes back. I don't think it works I don't think I de- I'm, I'm not that dedicated to the joke. <laughs> I'm not that dedicated to this joke.